China and Hawaii is not just property. It's different. I'm still very much learning. You know, I've been here for 14 years, but I genuinely day to day feel like I'm still learning about the this place and the complexities of this place. To be a Hawaiian family today still holding Kuleana lands sort of requires a series of miracles um, <laughs> beginning in 1848 and going across generations. This is Hawaii Rising, a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund. I'm Kenji Cataldo. I'm Suyuno Amos. Each week, we'll be talking story with grassroots community organizers at the forefront of progressive movements for change in Hawaii. Over this series, we're featuring the 30 grantees who received community-raised funds through the Hawaii People's Fund this year. It's our biggest cohort to date, and we're so excited to share their stories with you. Today, we're talking with Mehana Vaughn and Jennifer Luck from Kipuka Kuleana, a hui based on Kauai. Kipuka Kuleana works to protect Kuleana lands from private development on Kauai. They provide resources to support families and work on policies and legislation to reduce tax burdens and protect Kuleana lands. We learned a lot about the status and history of Kuleana lands. Let's get right into it. We're here with Mehana Vaughn and Jennifer Luck from Kipuka Kuleana. Would you both like to introduce yourselves and Kipuka Kuleana and describe for us who else um, Kipuka Kuleana is made up of? Introduce yourself. <laughs> um, aloha, I'm Mehana Vaughn. I come from Kalihiwai, um, here on the island of Kauai, where Ko'olau and Halele'a Moku come together. Uh, my name is Jennifer Luck, and um, I am on the board of directors of Kipuka Kuleana, originally from Los Angeles, been out here on Kauai for about 14 years. And our board is also made up of uh, an amazing woman and attorney named Tina Ayu. And we have great support from Dominique Cordy, who does research with us, and also Sarah Barger, who we just hired as our admin assistant. So. That is the Kipuka Kuleana team, and we're a nonprofit organization dedicated to working with families that have ancestral ties to place and assisting them and holding on to their family lands. Can you tell us the story of how Kipuka Kuleana came to be? Sure. Um, it was the spring of 2015, um, and I had just started working at UH Manoa and um, was hired there to, to be um, one of um, for Hawaiian faculty working to try to bridge the university and community and to engage um, students in community projects and community work and a place that I um, loved as a child growing up and had been um, thinking about um, was the coast that we call Anini, um, which is actually three Ahupua'a, Kalihiwai, Kalikai, and Wanini. Um, and it's a place that changed so much since I was a kid. It had such a healthy, amazing reef um, it was where we went on field trips to go, you know, learn about coral reefs when we were children. Um, and it, it had become quite degraded. And also all the families that used to live in that place, in their beach homes, all of the Hawaiian families that um, I grew up with seeing there, um, almost all of them had moved away. Um, so I directed a spring semester class to having my students come here to Kauai. And we were able to interview um, with Mickey and Jen's help. Um, we interviewed 40 different community members who grew up in that place and who spent their childhoods there and who shared their stories of that place. 
And they really shared stories of abundance, of living off the reef there, of a reef that was so covered with limu that you had to be careful when you walked or you would step in the holes and not know it and fall in the holes. Um, and of a sharing lifestyle where they had everything they wanted. They only had to go to the store. Basically, I think they said for um, salt, sugar, and maybe cooking fat um, and oil for their lamps, um, where you would go across the road in the morning and catch fish for your grandmother's breakfast every day um, and where they had taro patches. Um, and they talked about the changes and they talked about um, how the imposition of a resort above and how that and the golf course runoff had changed the reef. And also just how um, as the area had become more and more of a tourist destination and a place for second homes and vacation homes, how that had raised property values and made it harder and harder for them to stay. And of all the families we talked to, there were you know two that felt they could hold on to their lands. And there were two that were still continuing to live there. Um, and they walked with us, they mapped. Mm -hmm. um, remember they, they did a map of all the families that lived along that coast house by house in the 1960s. Um, and that was after enduring two tidal waves, um, but sort of this new tidal wave of foreign ownership and people moving in and seeing the land in a different way as a commodity and property uh, really was displacing. Um, and so we shared back their interviews in a big community gathering in the beach park there. And we figured out that that's why that beach park is so popular. That's why it's so busy. All these families go back to camp. They, they were married there. They have baby luau's there. They have funerals there. Even if they can't live there, they go back. And we brought them all back to have this community party and celebration to share the work. And it was one of the first times they'd all been in the same place in mm -hmm. decades. Mm -hmm. um, and it was so... And the, the students learned an oli. One of the things they turned up in their research was a song Auntie Alice Namakelua wrote for the place when she visited one of those families in the 60s and sat on the porch. And it shared of the feeling of the breeze and the waving of the palm trees and the sound of the ocean. And we were struck by how much hasn't changed, even as the whole people community has changed. Um, and yet their ties endure. And um, it made us think, what's being done to prevent this? and to keep those families who still hold lands um, on our island um, and particularly often these coastal desired lands um, how do we keep them there uh, because the community changes so much when everyone moves away and when it's all vacation rentals and these are the families you go borrow their shower and you borrow their phone to call your mom to pick her up before cell phones because you surf too long or you know if you get cut you go for a band-aid and they take care of the beach, they regulate, they kick people out, they don't let people drive on the beach, they pick up the opala, they watch the cycles, they warn the neighbors when there's a flood, they get everyone up in a tsunami warning. Like without them, we, we don't have community and they really are picos and pillars of community. And we thought, what, what, what are the needs they have mm -hmm. and who's working with them to help them stay in their place? And if they've lost their place, to have spaces, to have kipuka at which they that they can come back to and continue to fulfill these kuleana um, of being the kupaina, of being the people of that place and holding that space and caring for it. That's a very beautiful origin story that arose so organically out of the work that you were already doing. Um, could you talk about what kinds of resources kipuka kuleana provides to families in the work that you do? Mm -hmm. Sure. So out of, I think, the work that Mehana did in, in Anini and then following that, working with some specific families um, that were 
on the cusp of losing their land and, and most importantly wanted to keep their land and felt like that was a strong desire. They felt really closely tied to that property. They had the wherewithal and the desire to hold on to it and do what needed to be done. And so through a couple of those experiences, and again, this kind of all arose very organically, but it was great because it gave us the opportunity to really understand on a deep level what was needed and and what was being done by other nonprofits and what wasn't being done by other nonprofits and where that puka was and what needed to be filled and in what way and with what resources and tools. And so um, through those those experiences and the great research and work that <clears throat> Mehana and her students have done over the years and, and their very deep understanding that I certainly could never mimic of just the, the changes and transitions of this place. Um, but I think what what we bring to the table and the ways that we help are, are diversified. One way that, that we help is through just education. So offering workshops and connecting families with estate planning attorneys and, and folks that are really knowledgeable in, in like the Kuliana tax credit and navigating those systems. Um, so we've held workshops before where we invite families to come and provide them with some of those resources, connect them with those folks, share what knowledge we have, bring people around to the table that can help them hold onto their lands or figure out how to <clears throat> pay past property taxes or lower their property taxes, which of course is a big reason why a lot of families lose their, their lands or somebody wants to sell. Um, and then we also have uh, research capabilities too. So assisting on that side as well and doing some research into specific title issues, um, or more broadly research into what areas are, are in danger of, of being lost and what needs to be done for those families. Um, and then similar to a land trust, we can hold land. So if needed, we can step in and assist families in holding onto their properties and then working with them so they can continue to manage the property and steward the property and be there in these like, Kipukas, as Mehana talks about, so essentially just protecting the space so that families and generations can come back and, and be there and have a presence in that area and on that land. Um, and sometimes we help connect families with what could be called like conservation buyers, essentially. So somebody that may be able to step in if the property is for sale, they could buy the property, but they won't sell it. They'll only sell it back to the family when the family is ready and has a wherewithal to purchase it back, usually at a discount pretty significant discount or sometimes even donate it back to the family. So I think I think those are all kind of the, the uh, tools in our tool shed, at least as of right now that we tend to use and go to in the ways that we're helping these families. And always, always we're learning too, right? I mean, most essentially, I think that we listen a lot and we hear directly from the families what they need and what they want and where they need help and maybe where they don't need help. And then we try and step in and help in whatever way they need and want us to. So we really want the families to take the lead and to and to just assist them and support them in whatever way that they need. You know, be flexible and nimble in that regard. It sounds like you found really creative and powerful ways to engage in the system and uh, use expertise about the current system, but in a way that resists the privatization and commodification of land. Could you share a little about the history of Kuleana lands and the impact of the Mahele, especially in Kauai? Sure. Um, I think, you know, you talked about the creativity, and I think Hawaiians have always been responding in creative ways to keep their ancestral values related to land and their relationships and ways of caring for land in place, um, despite sort of changing property systems around them. 
Um, and I think the Mahele and the Koleana Act were, were an early effort of that, um, knowing that that property title was an important thing. Just as, for example, our kupuna embraced mapping, right? They embraced um, when, when the, that tool of mapping, the tool of writing, the tool of putting our stories down <laughs> and of written language and then mapping to map all these ahupua'a to delineate their boundaries and for the kingdom to take that on. Um, and I think that the land distribution was intended in a similar way um, to have first the mahele of formalizing certain ali'is not claims, but responsibilities to certain ahupua. Which ali'i do you turn to to make this place abundant? Right, and different ali'i made different choices about how they fulfilled that role at a very changing time. Um, but then my understanding of the Kuleana Act was to then um, distribute lands to those families. And, and the word Kuleana comes from, um, it is reflected in that land, that, that the name of those lands. But um, the, the, the purpose was to delineate to the, those families who are caring for a place and ensure they always could. Because prior to this system, um, if a ohana lived on land and cared for it, you could pass it down to your children. You could be there in perpetuity, even if the ali'i of your area changed, as long as you were caring for it well and making it productive and abundant. Mm -hmm. Kuleana, the word kuleana, um, when I was working with Anakala Eri in Pololo, um, where Mickey lives, when I asked Anakala Eri Ka'anana uh, the meaning of Kuleana, he said, oh, it's the lands in your family's care. And I thought, oh, you mean like Kuleana lands, like these ones that date back to 1848. And he said, it is that which your family cares for. It is that which is yours to care for. And that helps us know who you are. If that land is abundant, if you're growing food, if you're feeding others, that tells us about you and what we can entrust you with. And I felt he was saying that all responsibilities, all rights, they stem from Aina and from all the things that you care for and how you help those things to benefit others. Um, and so I think that idea is why Kuleana lands were called Kuleana lands. Um, and that idea continues forward. And they're small parcels. They were lo'i. On Kauai is mostly a lo'i and a house site. And the house site was coastal and the lo'i was in the valley near the water. We didn't build on ridges. All the fancy homes now, they want to be on ridges with the views. That's where the graveyards were. That's where the cemeteries were, the kilo spots for fish. On Kauai, there's also a lot of families who had um, salt, salt beds as part of their kuleana claims in certain areas. Um, but as we know in our history, less than 0.2% of all the land in Hawaii was distributed through this kuleana dispersal system. Um, and very, very few, again, you know, just a small percentage of the eligible Hawaiian population received land. And that wasn't how the system was designed. The system was designed to give out a little bit at a time and test this sort of new idea of formalizing these older relationships and ownerships. And then the monarchy was overthrown. And so the land that was held back by the crown to be dispersed further 
never got to be dispersed. It became part of the government lands that are now the ceded lands that are so contested in Hawaii. So to be a Hawaiian family today still holding Kuleana lands sort of requires a series of miracles um, <laughs> beginning in 1848 and going across generations. Um, and it's not easy to still be holding these lands. Um, and they are entitled to property tax breaks, but it's not easy to get those. You have to have paperwork and birth certificates and genealogy. And in these rural areas, many people were birthed at home, um, died at home. So it's not always easy to establish that trail. So those are things we can help with. We also work on the policy side, um, helping to expand mm. the protections for lands that don't fit these narrow definitions. Um, here on Kauai, we don't have that many Kuleana lands. We have less than any other island. Um, so we also are always looking at ways to, you know, we have 999 year leases that families were given in Kalakaua's time. Um, and those were essentially lifetime, 999 year leases, right? That are now month to month DLNR leases at market rate property rentals. Um, so there's all sorts of different situations. And the main thing we've learned is every single family and situation is different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and we also look at, can we buy back lands? Mm -hmm. um, are there large swaths that are not um, developed yet? And how could we target those for protection and for um, opportunities for families to return? Mahalo for that clarification. I feel like that really clearly explains what's at stake with Kuleana lands. There's so much at stake, which leads me kind of into our next question. And I wonder what kinds of positive changes you've seen since you began doing this work. So just one thing to clarify, we work in four areas. We work in education, um, we work in research, mm -hmm. um, and that can be helping families find their Kuleana documents, et cetera. We work on policy initiatives. Um, and then the last one is really important, stewardship, taking care of places and working mm -hmm. with community groups um, that are taking care of places. And I guess um, that's one change I'll say I've seen and Jen may have others. But one of the things I see is community groups springing up all over Hawaii to care for places through all sorts of mechanisms. They may have a lease with DLNR. They may have a memorandum of agreement with state parks. They might have an access agreement with a landowner. Mm -hmm. They might have a formal nonprofit. They might just go and clean up the beach. Um, but these are all groups coming together to care for places and to hold that space. And there are mechanisms by which families return. Um, for example, the hui makainana o makana in haena takes care of the lo'i in the state park that their families were evicted from in the 60s when the state park was made. And hardly any Hawaiian families still live in Haena because of the desirability and cost of real estate there. Yet every month, their families are gathering almost every weekend and taking care of those lo'i, feeding their families from that place, welcoming other people to come, having a space to camp, conducting lavaia camps where their kids learn about pono fishing. Um, in developing policies of community management of fisheries that are spreading all across Hawaii. So these, these kipuka, just like when you have a lava flow and it goes around and destroys everything around it, and then that bit of forest that remains becomes the seed bank to reseed and reforest um, all of the surroundings. What I see is more and more community groups springing up, many learning from others, Paipai Oheia, Fish Pond staff going out to start Waimanalo Limuhui and um, and them growing and thriving and becoming more abundant and um, 
and amazing in teaching across generations and enabling this kind of stewardship and restoration of connection to place. And I think one, just to piggyback on that, I think that what also has come from that is, is you're seeing the, the leaders at the top, both at the state level and the local level, see in real time and a demonstration of the amazing benefits that can come from local community control of places or local community stewardship of places, right? So when you empower and allow for the community to come back to that place and to steward that place, they're gonna do it in a way that actually is really, really effective and better for everybody that's here. And so I think through organizations like the Hui out in Haena that Mehana mentioned and other organizations around the state that have really been the trailblazers in this way and have stepped up and created a whole new way to steward and manage these lands and take that off the plate of the state and the county who are so resource strapped. Um, and in doing so, these families get to come back there and the place is managed much, much better. It's managed really responsibly in a way that still allows people to go there, even if you're not from there and to visit, but to visit in a way where they learn something, they're educated, and there's a balance, right, that we're seeing across this, the state maybe isn't there. And so in these little kipukas, you're seeing that balance start to come back. And this incredible example um, here and in other places around the state that I think is actually really going to become the norm or we hope is going to become the norm over the next 15, 10 to 15 years. And and I applaud, you know, the elected officials at the county level and the state level that saw that and and that supported that effort and were willing to take, you know, probably what to them was a bit of a risk in allowing these families to come back and to give them an official role in stewarding these places. But I think that there is a precedent being set and a, and it's creating a path for a better, more balanced and more sustainable way forward. And that's been incredible to see just from kind of on the sidelines of it and watching that unfold over the last five to 10 years. And maybe just one other change on our island is we have increasingly wealthy landowners and increasingly wealthy people moving here um, at really unimaginable levels. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that makes it really extra challenging, but it also creates some opportunities in some ways because they are able to buy larger swaths of land and leave them protected um, rather than splitting them up and developing them. And, you know, our hope is as they come to understand this place more, and it's not always easy to connect with and reach out to and educate them, but that they are really moved by this place too and moved by the kuleana that come with being connected to aina here in hawaii um, and that they're in a position to help to protect land not for themselves and their privacy alone but for others um, because there's more than enough space and ways to use and share and it is all part of that kuleana so we try we're trying to look at really creative models because in the Hawaiian system, it wasn't about ownership. It wasn't about who held the palapala of that land. It was about who was taking care of it and exercising those responsibilities. I'm wondering if any of those wealthy landowners that are coming and moving to Kauai, are those some of the people, the conservation buyers that you mentioned earlier? And how did you, how are you able to connect with those people? <laughs> We didn't exactly plan that. <laughs> we just are stepping forward. <laughs> Jen has been amazing. <laughs> I have an idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think it's that, as Mehana said, you know, there's there are there's a huge amount of wealth coming into the North Shore in particular of Kauai, as is happening on other islands too. And you're seeing um, a lot of mainland wealth come over and buy large tracts of land. Um, 
there we have had the experience one time so far of of a family that had a lot of land on the north shore of Kauai and was willing to step in as a conservation buyer um, for a small property on the north shore and and hold it until the family could buy it back and that the family that did that the conservation buyer had a um, I would say a really amazing conservation ethic already. And we're very much values aligned and we had a close relationship with them. And as Brianna said, we kind of just, the stars aligned truly. And it ended up working out really beautifully for everybody involved. Um, but that is sort of, is not always the case. And I think that there's, that's part of what we do with education too, I think is reaching out to some of these new people that are coming here and buying land and educating them, talking to them about the issues at hand and displacement what happens when families with ancestral ties are displaced, the traditional ecological knowledge that also leaves with those families and the kuleana and the stewardship of place and monitoring the place and understanding where the floodwaters go most of the time, but every 30 years they actually go here. And you should know that if you're going to build a house there and um, all these, you know, all this incredible knowledge that you lose when you lose people with longtime ties to place. So that's part of our job is to educate and have some of those conversations and, and where there's an opening then, match up people that may be willing to be a conservation buyer and families that need somebody to step in in the interim or keep Puka Kuleana can. But, um, you know, that's that's kind of a, a rarity these days. We hope that's not the case going forward. And and we're certainly hopeful that more and more people that come here will will be values aligned in that way and, and understand not just how this place can benefit them, but that it's a reciprocal relationship. You can't just come and take that. You have to come and give. Um, and giving means listening first and understanding what this place needs and, and wants and how you can step in and step up in that way. Mm -hmm. I think too that we've, you know, thus far we've done it sort of bit by bit, mm -hmm. family by family, and we're hoping, and one of the things we're grateful to for Hawaii People's Fund and having Sarah, we're hoping things can start to be more built in and systematic. And one of the things she's helping us do is research land back initiatives and other land trusts that help, you know, in places like North Carolina that help black farming families to keep their farming, their farmlands across generations. And there's efforts all over. So looking at the tools they're using, San Francisco Bay Area has a native land trust and a native lands tax on um, anyone, whether you're going to school as a student at Berkeley or have bought a fancy home, they, you can go on their website and calculate your your tax to the native people of that place for being on their homeland. Um, and so we're, we're looking at a whole Ahu land tax um, that we've launched on our website mm -hmm. um, as something that's just a contribution that's voluntary, but that people can make if they love Kauai and are benefiting from this Aina, how can they give back? And um, we were talking yesterday about what if you bought a second home on Kauai and with it, you bought another home for a local, <laughs> for a young couple that's never owned a home because the, the challenges of housing here are mm -hmm. so, you know, but what are the things that can be built in that are that are more a part of the system and more um, and, and really more of a, a part of the restorative justice of looking at Hawaii's history and who mm -hmm. can own land in Hawaii now and how that came to be mm -hmm. and how we work to address that. And I think Hawaii People's Fund really sees organizations like ours and the organizations you work with across Hawaii and knows that this is these are steps towards restoring sovereignty 
um, in many forms and in many ways all over our Pai'aina. And this is part of that work is uh, restoring lands. It's so cool to hear about all the ways you're navigating the system and working towards uh, change on a system level. And also how community groups are stepping in and taking on a larger role while uh, people on the state and county level are starting to make more space for that. I would love to hear now about your vision for the future. Thinking about these trends that we've been talking about, what do you see for the future of Kauai and for Hawaii as a whole? That's a big question. <laughs> I think um, I'm I'm a little hesitant to answer that. I, I uh, you know, I think I've m- my role is is mostly today, like listening, and understanding what the needs are and the needs are going forward and doing my part to help execute on solutions there and doing what I can in that way. Um, but yeah, my vision from Hawaii, I don't know, you know, I'm not, I'm not born and raised here. So in some ways I feel like I, I think Mehana should answer that and, and that I'm still very much learning. You know, I've been here for 14 years, but I genuinely day to day feel like I'm still learning about the, this place and the complexities of this place and what's been done well and what hasn't been done well. And we tend to be so focused on just the near term of what needs to be solved right now in this very moment. And there are a lot of things that are very, very desperately needing to be solved and looked at. Um, But I'm not sure that I could answer that in an articulate way. You know, I don't know if I know enough yet to say what this place needs and wants over the, over the long term. Um, But I certainly hope, and intend to play a role in helping that come to fruition, whatever that is, and however that that looks. And I think from an outsider's perspective, what is really apparent is is the lack of balance right now on in many ways, right? There's there's um, a lack of balance, I think, in the number of visitors that are here every year. I think that's a really pressing issue and conversation that affects local communities and local families because more demand for this place means higher property values. Um, I think that there's, uh, you know, the affordable housing and displacement issues um, are out of balance as well. And so whatever the future vision um, or the future holds for Kauai and for Hawaii, I I would hope just on a 50,000 foot level that, that it's more balanced than what it is now, that that pendulum begins to swing back a little bit. And I think it's going to take a lot of creativity. I think it's going to take a diversity of solutions, depending on the place and the needs, even down to just little small communities. I think it's going to take a lot of nimbleness and a, and a lot of work. But but that's my that's my hope, I guess I would say, um, for the future of place is is a restoration of that balance in a way that people that are from here can stay here if they want to stay here. Um, that people that come here that aren't from here give back to this place and are part of the solutions going forward and understand in a deep way um, the values of this place. And that's part of what draws them here. And they understand that and they, and they embody that and are, and are part of the solutions and the, and the keeping of that balance going forward. Yeah. I'll build on what Jen says, cause she's such a teacher to me of that, <laughs> that, that we really have, that the whole Aina role of people who love Hawaii for whatever reason and with whatever tie is is really thriving mm. of of how you can give back and be connected. 
um, and how that's all of our responsibility. And I think these lands and small, however small they are, being there together in place guides us and it brings us together. Um, and we do a lot of work bringing kids to these places and school kids. And um, so there's that cross-generational part. Um, but I think that my vision is that the Aina itself guides groups of people caring for it together to know what to do next. Um, we believe a lot in listening and stories and that listening happens first to the land and to each other. And that there's so much power in people sitting face to face and really sharing their stories of a place and that that makes change. And that what that change will look like is that there are, you know, longtime families in every place, that there are community groups mm. caring for every single ahupua in Hawaii and that that spreads and threat spreads. So you have, you know, more and more thriving and grounded communities of real people in each of these places connected to one another and and gradually that, that that covers all of the aina, you know, of Hawaii. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was a great question, Kenji, truly. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking that. It was good to just spend a few moments kind of thinking of that, mm -hmm. opening up space. And that everywhere you go, there's young people that have grown up connected mm. to that place mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. ready to be protectors yeah. and caretakers of it and knowing that they can stay and raise their children in the same way. And feed them too. Yeah. <laughs> raise them and feed them and feed them a lot from the land that they love. That's a beautiful vision. And I really hope we can all start moving towards that future. And in looking forward, is there anything you'd like to say about how listeners might get involved with Kipuka Kuleana? I know you mentioned that you work in four different areas, so I imagine there could be lots of ways for people to connect. Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, we're we're always looking for folks that are willing to, you know, give their their time and their expertise, certainly on the on the research and the mapping side. I think that's actually a really key component. Um, to just working with families and helping them think through some of these, you know, estate planning issues and Kuleana tax issues and all of that. So there's certainly always a need and a desire to bring people into the fold and and to involve them in the work that we're doing by um, by finding a place for the knowledge and the expertise that they bring. You know, whether that's on the land side or or the tax and policy side, um, the research side, certainly fundraising like every nonprofit. And that's why we're so grateful to Hawaii People's Fund and other funders. But there's always a need there too um, on the fundraising side, whether that's connections or donations from folks. Um, and then, you know, I think in, in stewardship and learning to care for these places, and even if it's just showing up to some of these like beach cleanup days at Kahili or other places, I mean, that's where it starts, right? That's not a small thing. That's you taking your time and, and your energy and being there. And when you're there in that place, you become more connected to that place. You understand the history of that place a little bit better. You understand the needs of that place a little bit better. Um, and that helps educate you and that helps us. So even just those small steps, I think for, for us and for other land conservation organizations are really key, right? Take, just taking that first step and participating in some way, being open in some way. 
Yeah, I'd agree. We're really new to this. So we have a volunteer form on our website. And if someone has, you know, legal skills or trust planning skills or is just interested to, to talk to a family regularly and check in and see how they're doing or to do research, there's so many ways to help or to make suggestions on the process because we're learning. Um, I think another thing is anyone who holds land in Hawaii, um, no matter how small or large, thinking about what's going to happen after your time as its caretaker. Is it something that you're going to hand on to your children? Um, will they be able to keep it and care for it? How are you setting them up for that? And if that's not the case, can is there a way it can make its way back? Um, to another local or Hawaiian family? Can you, instead of selling it on the real estate market, can you find a young couple um, that that might be able to buy? Um, or are you in a position to simply gift that land back um, to this growing pool of aina that is, that is returning um, to be a source of abundance and, and kuleana of many um, and, and, and of, of us collectively as a you know, as a Lahui that loved this place. Um, and I think the last thing is to spread the word and to share that Aina in Hawaii is not just property, mm. it's different. And if someone loves this place and wants to buy here or holds here, there are a, there's a history that comes with that. There's responsibilities that come with that. And, there's, and that it's really different. And it's not about building your dream house or it's not about individual benefit, but it really is about making abundance um, for all and especially for those who've been most connected to that place and caring for it for a long time. Mahalo for talking with us today. It has really been a pleasure and inspiring and we're really excited to see who we can reach with your message. Thank, Thank you, you all so much. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me and me with additional support from Mickey. Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock, written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. Production of this podcast is supported by a fellowship from Princeton University. Thank you to our community donors and to you, our audience, for listening. In our next episode, we'll be speaking with Lala Kea Foundation. We're brought up in our educational system to think globally. And I think we need to scale back on that a little bit. It's not about thinking globally. It's the globe has to think island. You don't want to miss it.